welcome to today's episode of the School Success Podcast and video. Um, today, I've got motivation expert Sharath Jeevan on the show to talk about motivation. So welcome to the show, Sharath. Hey, thanks. It's such a pleasure to be, be on it as well. I really um, love the podcast and yeah, love to, uh, really excited about our conversation today. Brilliant. So first of all, can you tell us about how you came to be an expert in motivation? Yeah, really by accident, uh, in, a, in a nutshell, Lucy, as well. So um, I, I trained um, as an economist at my undergraduate at Cambridge University, um, but really uh, got into this whole area by founding an NGO that I led for about 10 years called Stir Education, which was all about reigniting the motivation of teachers in emerging countries, countries like India, Uganda, Indonesia. It ended up reaching, over the 10 years, about um, 200,000 teachers, about 35,000 schools and about 7 million children. And the core question we were grappling with was, how do you get this motivation question right? In countries like India that built, for example, a million schools, 240 million kids were in the school system. It was an incredible achievement, but it wasn't leading to much because there was that challenge of motivation for teachers and students and for officials in the system as well. Um, that inspired the book, which just came out a few weeks ago. It's called Intrinsic. Um, became an, um, a bestseller on Amazon, which is really exciting in the UK. Um, but also what I do practically now is I advise a number of, of organizations all the way from education groups like leading maths or leading universities all the way through to corporates, uh, foundations, government bodies around this topic of motivation as it relates to them. So you know, an accidental journey, but <clears throat> really excited about the, the, the journey that I'm on now and love helping and advising leaders uh, on this really critical topic. And I know, I've read you... Um... It, quite a lot of your book and it's fantastic and it's all very clearly explained and there's engaging stories to explain it as well I highly recommend it to people so um can you first tell us more about motivation and specifically what intrinsic and extrinsic motivation are yeah I think um we see a bit like you know motivation more and more like the fuel that like in a car and if you think about <clears throat> extrinsic motivation it's doing something because something else is promised at the end. It's like driving. I spent many years in India the last 10 years and uh, many days, I should say, and, you know, going on a, a taxi in like Mumbai, you get from A to B, but it's not a very pleasant ride. You're choking with the fumes along the way. That's a bit like extrinsic motivation. You're doing it because something else is promised at the end. Mm-hmm. Intrinsic motivation is a bit like driving an electric car. It feels pleasurable, smooth, um, much more rewarding in its own right. And we know now from about 30 years of research that the more we can live our lives by intrinsic principles, we're going to be happier and more fulfilled. But actually, that's the really exciting thing, more successful in the longer term as well. Yeah. So we need a bit of both. We can't live life um, entirely um, by one. But I'd say most of us right now are very focused on the extrinsic side. Um, And that's contributing to this, this big malaise and the sense of treading water motivation that many of us are feeling right now yeah definitely so just thinking about the people that I work with in terms of the difference between extrinsic and intrinsic you know intrinsic is really studying because you love to study and you want to get that knowledge and you're fascinated by the subjects that you're studying whereas extrinsic is doing it to get the grades to get to the next stage in your life really is that would that be a fair summary yeah exactly and look I think there's a there's an element of both because we need education there is a, a credentialing aspect of any educational journey mm-hmm. so we have to be realistic about that and I know many parents listening and maybe you're watching maybe you feel well yeah of course that's important but 
the irony is that some of the best ways to get those credentials to do well academically may not be to directly try and play the system and try to play that exam game in quite the way that our school system seems intent on taking us to. Yeah. So the more we can love learning, the more we can genuinely engage and be motivated to learn, have that lifelong love of learning as you talked about, the more likely we'll develop these intermediate muscles around curiosity, critical thinking, um, collaboration. And if you talk to you know, employers today, Lucy, I work with one of the, my, my clients is the ADECO Foundation. ADECO as a group, it places half a million people into jobs every day. Um, many employers I talk to, they say the most important thing they look for employees right now is curiosity and hard work. Mm-hmm. It's not about being the most academically successful person, a lot of that stuff can be automated now or you know the internet can find that but those elements if we can get that love of learning early in life for young people and children it's so powerful that means they're going to be deeply engaged in school mm-hmm. that will lead to good academic results but that's a, that's the best pathway to get academic success and we all it's still important of course but um what's happening instead is we've got this kind of test culture more and more standardized testing Ofsted inspections, schools being judged on league tables. What that's pushing schools and, and teachers uh, and, and parents to do is to take the shortcuts, right? So we, we teach the tests, we reduce the curriculum down, just focus on the things that are going to be tested. We hire tutors, you know, tuition, I think is what, a two billion. An industry, again, it can be very powerful um, if it's done well and really nurtures the child to generate that broader interest and love of, of learning. But too often, and that's why you know, I really admire what you do around this, that um, it, it's too often being used to sort of get those shortcuts. Yes. And that actually destroys learning in the long term. It gives kids that impression that learning is all about just passing exams. And there's an element, again, we, it is, but it's so much more. And that so much more is what really matters. Definitely. So in your book, you break down motiv- well, intrinsic motivation into three um, things. Can you tell us what they are and how they work? Yeah, so the real, and there's really strong evidence now behind that, but three core pillars around purpose, autonomy and mastery. Um, so let me just repeat that so everybody's got it. Yeah. Purpose, autonomy and mastery, yes? Exactly. So then a PAM if you want an easy acronym. And so... Um, Let's, let's relate that to, to, the, to, to you know, young people. Purpose is about seeing how what they're studying ultimately will help and serve others. And it's so important young people go in thinking about education as a way they can contribute to society more deeply and more powerfully. Um, if it's just about getting through a system for themselves, it's not going to be very motivating. And so really thinking about helping um, kids, for example, see the the real world application of their learning, yes. understanding how it connects to other people, how can they use their education to help those less fortunate than them, may not have all the same advantages. That's really, really important to think about the purpose front. Yeah, uh, so that's something I find a lot of young people these days find it very difficult to make a connection between what they're learning in school and how they might contribute to wider society and they even find it difficult to understand how what they're learning relates to themselves so um I was on a coaching call recently and a young man said he just couldn't get interested in biology and I tried to explain to him you know I did biology a level and um you know, it's been so useful to me through my life, not because I'm a biologist, but for example, 
understanding how my own body works when I've had to have medical interventions and you know being able to ask intelligent questions of the medics and that kind of thing I was like could you could you start thinking about when you're learning biology how does this apply to me how does that help me like what's the bigger purpose in knowing this is that the kind of thing that you're talking about in terms yeah absolutely I mean obviously we're just seeing with the pandemic how important biology is right and and so for example in that example if that young person you know, what about if they learned about the, the coronavirus? Because A, if they understand how it transmits, what's happening, or we're obviously now all uh, waiting on the research on this new variant, mm-hmm. they can understand how they can protect their own life better, their family life better, be a better um, citizen, as it were, at school in terms of reducing transmission. There's an immediate application of that that right now we're in the middle of. Um, to almost any topic, I believe, in, in school uh, can be related to. So let me give another example. My son, we would over lockdown, we watched a lot of, um, you know, we did watch a lot of streaming, but we tried to make it enriching things mm-hmm. to watch together as a family. He really fell in love with Hamilton. And, you know, I'm not kidding. He's, he loved the music. He's singing all the songs, but he started getting really, really deeply involved in American history. Yes. Uh, reads, um, reads The Week now, um, looks at what's happening with the Biden administration. But also he read Ron Chino's book, he's 10, but it was quite a mouth, it's a thousand page book. He didn't get all the way through it. But even the, the motivation to start that, came from watching something as, as so simple as Hamilton. Yeah. So I think it's all about, and I took him to the Victoria, the Apollo Theatre to watch it live a few weeks ago when we could. So all of this has a real world learning application. Yes. I think teachers can do a lot to, I mean, I think they are doing more and more to be fair, but they're, they're being constrained more and more by timetabling and the curriculum. Yeah. I think as parents and, and those around uh, young people, if we can understand what kids are learning and help them apply it, see those connections. and. Yes them apply it to real action they can take for themselves and people they care about it's going to be much more motivating is my strong belief here definitely definitely I completely agree with you and yeah just having those conversations around the dinner table and you know visiting places of interest on holidays going to museums and that kind of thing this is something in the extraordinaries club um which is um how I work with a lot of people and we've got a whole module called love your learning (laughs) and it's based around this kind of taking that learning that step further and sparking that interest and that kind of thing which is so important so that's purpose so the next thing is autonomy so tell us a bit more about that yeah so taking that analogy of the car lucy autonomous being at the wheel of our own lives feeling we're driving the way we want to drive if you're in many countries uh, there's always a backseat driver telling you how they think you should be driving it's saying politely look i'm hearing your feedback i'm listening to it but i want to drive in, in my own way and what has happened, I think, if you look at young people, because so many of us as parents, middle-class parents and so on, we're very worried about kids not achieving the same standard of life as we, as we achieve. Let's be very honest about it. What that is creating is that we are forcing kids down certain paths that we think are the way that will guarantee that same life standard, life success. Yeah. What that is doing, you know, really in terms of autonomy is pretty devastating for young people. It's destroying that sense of ownership. You know, many of them are sleepwalking through life. We're spoon feeding with all kinds of extracurricular activities. And look, there's nothing wrong with extracurricular activities, but they have to be driven by the child and their interests. And this program nature of childhood, there's very little time now for kids to play with each other without being organized in play dates. That drives me mad. Um, there's uh, very little time for them just to, 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 to loaf around the house and pick up something and build something or read something they're interested in, for example. Mm. So we need to really urgently get back autonomy into how young people experience life. And 
that joy of feeling control of life they'll take with them all through their um, their careers and their lifetimes as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, we're going to come back to these in a minute, but um, let's talk about mastery as the final one of your three points. Yeah, so the key thing about mastery is becoming the best versions of ourselves we can be. And there's a key word in that. It's the best versions of ourselves, yes. not the best version of someone else or comparing ourselves to someone else. And what we're seeing around the world in the UK, unfortunately, is, what is, is one of the worst examples. Um, we have... Um, you know, one of the highest rates of child anxiety in the world, uh, really because um, we're worried about this comparison culture point. We can go onto social media for a young person and see thousands of people look like us. And um, we don't know, you know, it makes us feel like we can't stand out, we're not different. And, you know, we have you know, everything from self-harm to huge rates of, of clinical depression now, but many, many more young people on the the verges of just, you know, not very good mental health, honestly. So I think we need to really um, think about ourselves and the idea being, what is our goal? What are we here for? What's our purpose? How do we get better and better at that and bring our locus of control or our sense of where we're going to be more internally driven around our own ambitions and aspirations and, and, and passions? If we can do that, I think we can really be motivated by progress. And, you know, we've all heard about growth mindset now in education that, we take failure and setback as a positive thing, a way to learn, and we keep developing further, further and further along the way. Yeah, but there's so much about the modern education system that sees any kind of not meeting the standard as a failure. And, you know, people label themselves as failures and don't see it as an opportunity for growth. And that's just so limiting, really, isn't it? Yeah, so my son is sitting the 11 plus exams right now where we live and you know, I mean, how crazy it is that, that we should need young people at this age to be sorted into these, um, you know, these camps of good enough. Or good. And I, I talked to, you know, I counsel a number of CEOs, uh, they see, you know, 30, these, some of these are captains of industry that got, you know, MBEs and so on. They will still talk about that 11 plus exam if they haven't been successful in it. And this guy, I heard Keir Starmer talk about it actually and how he got through, but his dad was, you know, all of that baggage it creates. And um, I think this idea that, you know, we're always going to be lifelong learners. We don't master something. I talk to someone like Roger Federer in tennis, and he, you know, he's never played the perfect tennis set. He plays in his head, and it's not against Nadal or Djokovic. It's not about competition or comparison. It's about himself. Yes. So that idea that how do we really get excited and motivated by being the best versions of ourselves we can be, and see progress as deeply motivating. Yeah. That's the most important aspect of the whole, this whole equation actually as well. So. Wonderful. Okay, um, let's think about some of this in application to some of the real world problems that some um, the people listening to this are facing. So um, we, we had one mum and she asked the question, how can I help my kids transition from external motivation to intrinsic motivation? And I'm going to quote what she actually said. So she said, how do I motivate my 10-year-old to do additional work for the 11 plus when going to a good school is too far into the future? Should I go down the route of if she does her extra practice, she can have some money and at the end of the week, she could buy something she likes for herself, e.g. chocolate bar or sweets. 
And then isn't monetary rewards the same as star charts with small rewards when a certain amount of stars are accumulated? So I see this. I've had another question from a parent who said, um, should you promise monetary rewards for effort grades to your child? So I'd love your steer on this kind of thing, like giving these extrinsic rewards for doing the work, basically. Yeah, so um, I, mean, I talk to employers, let me just take this as an example. And so many tell me now they're working with young millennial uh, workers now. There's an attitude that not, not everyone, of course, but there's a general attitude that's coming more and more that young, many young workers say, look, I'm going to do these five tasks. This is my job description. I want the promotion and pay rise next year. And I'm just using this as a parallel because that's not how work works, right? You've got to over, you've got to exceed what you're doing. You've got to find new opportunities, create, create the role, craft it differently. If you <clears throat> take it as, you know, my, <clears throat> I'm like a Pavlovian dog. I'm sorry to use that lead, but you know, I'm just going to do what the, the stimulus asked me to do. And then I think it's fine. That's a very, very bad habit that's going to last them their whole life. So please, 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 I'd say stay well clear monetary rewards. We should be pursuing learning education for its own sake because that's deeply motivating to learn and to, to have the chance. You know, we're very lucky in this country that most kids have a, a good education. That's a thing to celebrate and, and be grateful for. Um, the moment we start equating that with rewards, whether it's financial or non-financial, we really undermine the value of learning and no one is going to be out there 20 years time giving them star charts or bonuses for, for learning. That's part of who they are and the modern world of work and, and life will mean they need to keep learning all the way through. So um, you're, you're other, I think one of the listeners talked about effort grades. I, I'm a big believer in effort and engagement. Mm-hmm. What I would be doing, and then I'll take my son, I'm very proud of how he's managed with the 11 plus. Um, he hasn't got his results yet. I have no idea what's going to happen. But what I told him, I was in the car with him yesterday. So look, um, he shouldn't know. I'm so proud of the attitude you demonstrated towards these 11 pluses. You've um, been very diligent. You worked hard every every day, but you've also been very interested in what you're learning and thought of it as a really exciting challenge to get into <clears throat> and, been, and not being scared to stretch yourself back to master again and push yourself to the limit of what you've been learning as well. Mm-hmm. And you also have not been um, competitive with other kids. You've seen other kids being successful as also a good thing and helping others, learning with others, discussing very openly, being also very vulnerable when you've been unsure. We've given him a bit of help here and there, and he's um, uh, he's taken that on really enthusiastically and really been committed to learning with, with, with in, in school and beyond. So I think I really praise his attitude. Yes. I didn't have to give him a, <clears throat> a reward for that, but what I said is that it's something I hope will, will last your, your whole life there. So if we can reinforce these messages as parents and acknowledge that good work and that effort and engagement, that's what really matters, and that curiosity and desire for mastery, that's much better. Yes. It's easier in the short term to do the trip to Disneyland or the PlayStation or the, the monetary award or whatever. I would just steer well clear because we know it has long-term, very, very negative effects. So I know a lot of the parents listening to this will be thinking, well, that's all very well, but the kids actually got to put some effort in in the first place before I can start praising them for good effort and good attitude. So if you've got a kid like I see many, many like this who just are utterly subsumed by their Xbox or by social media or something like that, and they literally rush through every piece of homework just to get it done so they, they can get back to the thing that they do have motivation for, but isn't going to help them very much in life. Have you got any advice for parents who literally are starting with a kid who's not displaying 
any kind of purpose, autonomy or mastery for their schoolwork. Yeah, so I think my big belief is all of us have a high degree of intrinsic motivation. If you look at kids at age of four, uh, Lucy, as you know, um, so many studies show four-year-olds can get lost in something mm-hmm. and spend hours building something or playing and there's no no parent needs to give them any, any effort grades or uh, give them a reward afterwards. They just love doing it. Our school systems tend to destroy that innate love of learning, our intrinsic motivation. So as parents, we've got to build that back. So the way we can do that is to look at, let's start with the purpose question first. Is there something where, you know, that the child can find something they feel a deeper meaning towards? Yeah. Maybe, you know, my son was very um, um, influenced on what happened with George Floyd last year, the Black Lives Matter protests, for example, in the news. He wanted to read about it. That became a hook to get him to, sorry, I didn't mean a hook, I mean, he was genuinely interested, but that became a, a platform or a stimulus to also start reading more more, more adult or more, more um, advanced uh, books and magazine articles and the news more. It also made him look at history differently because he realized that there's actually a big, uh, so he started watching historical films, all these things. So maybe a trigger out there that can connect the real world to young people so they see the relevance. Maybe... Um, a friend became ill with something, unfortunately. Was that something to learn about biology, for example? Mm-hmm. Something about the real world to connect that use of it. The other thing I do with, with the purpose piece is to help young people actually apply the knowledge. So let's say they're learning about um, um, biology, to use the example you used before. Could they go and perhaps help um, uh, in their school with some kind of um, health aspect of what the school is doing, help some other students apply some of these ideas there? Mm-hmm. The, the trick with the purpose side is often that the, the child may already have an interest. So take the PlayStation example. Yeah. They may be really interested in video games. Have they ever explored how video games are produced? If you actually look at it, it's really fascinating how it's, um, it's quite often brutal work environments, but environments where lots of people have to come together. Yeah. You know, illustrators, um, coders, um, business executives, et cetera. Could that be a good chance to look at how that is made and then look at a number of aspects of technology in that, for example? Yeah. Linked to the ICT curriculum, there are loads of ways to bring that to life for kids as well. That's really the first thing on purpose, and I don't know if that makes sense. First of all, we can talk about autonomy as well, but um, I don't know if you think that would work there. Yeah, definitely. That's really helpful. It's really about it's helping them to spark that curiosity, and I suppose there's something there for parents about role modelling. Um, this kind of curiosity and engagement with the world around them and if children see parents you know watching the news talking about interesting things you know explaining things to their children and all that kind of thing then that's really going to give children kind of something to model their behavior on um so I'm just thinking about this um mum who's and, you know, it's not just the 11 plus. I see it with GCSEs and seeing parents say they just want their kids to get to the next stage. They want them to not cut any of their options off. And it's this kind of desperation that I see, like clinging on. We've got to just get to the next step, get to the next step. Is there something there, like from your experience, would you say that's, <laughs> I, I don't want to sound critical of the people that come to me for support, but is that the attitude to have, or it, it, do you need just a broader, more open attitude to encourage your children into their studies? Yeah, so I think there's two things you touched on that are very important, uh, Lucy, they're very powerful. One was this idea you, you, you alluded to about role modelling. 
Yeah. Sure, we know from all the evidence now they do they they heed much more what we do rather than what we say. Yeah. So we can say all this stuff, but unless yeah, at the dinner table we're talking about something in the news or something at work that happened to us. So um, the one example. So um, I try and bring my kids, they're only ten and seven, into my office at least two or three times a year. They spend a day with me. I took them on some meetings. I do virtually. I get them to do some things on PowerPoint or research something. They can see how that you know the day to day work is like first of all, but also see how what they're learning relates to, to work also. But that idea of us being curious and, and always like learning as well and making mistakes. So I applied for a you know, very prestigious US scholarship a little while ago. I didn't get it. It was for a fellowship. Um, I told my kids at dinner, look, I'm really disappointed. But a couple of days later, they, they saw me you know, up and about again and just getting back on my feet. And so you know, showing that we can fail, we can have setbacks, but we're still good people and we work hard and we can continue to bounce back and stay motivated. That's really, really important. That's the first thing I think to, to really think about what you, um, you you were saying there. In terms of that other aspect of it, um, yeah, I think it's so important to have that um, that sense of perspective with it because you know I, I had a I have I have Indian parents as um, I was a second generation immigrant to this country. There was always that mental model of like what I call deferred gratification. Yes. And that sense of a, a ladder of security. So the, the mental model was, I think this is not just immigrant parents, I think many parents have it, that basically if you work really, really hard the first 21 years of your life, everything, you know, I went to Cambridge. Once you go to someone like Cambridge, you've got a good school, Cambridge, and then afterwards life is all all set. Uh, and, <laughs> yeah, I know, I'm sure like you, yeah, I know you also you know, went to uh, the same place. And look, I mean, life has been anything but predictable or stable or easy. We've had career changes, um, number of identity changes, number of things to figure out. Mm. The trick what we're learning is actually what matters much more is not to believe there's a sort of perfect path that will be you know, stable and, um, and and sort of frictionless, but rather let's use our time in school and, and higher education to develop these lifelong learning muscles, that ability to bounce back and stay motivated. These are safe environments. If we can build these you know, these personal characteristics these motivational characteristics now, they will stay with us all our life. Yeah. So I talked a lot to university and I went back to Cambridge where we both went and gave a, gave a talk to a number of colleges and their student bodies. And my point was that, you know, if you think about what was the icing, what was the cake? When I was there, I thought that the, the cake was really the tripos, the academic subjects, all that stuff. Mm. The icing was the extracurricular, the people I met, all that stuff. Actually, you know, I think if I look back at my life and what's driven success and when I've not been so successful, it, it's all the the stuff that wasn't the academics and yeah. what is the cake and what's the icing. And I think that can, this idea of just, you know, let's get them to the next stage. All we're doing is just propagating the same problems. We're not addressing the root causes and it's going to keep, um, keep going with them all the way through to adulthood. So it's tough. I'm not, I'm, I have full sympathy. I know I do how to feel this, but if we can try and attack it now, we're going to be doing them a lifelong favor. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I, see so many people that just want their child it's like um they're running a hurdles race and it's a straight line you know like you see in the olympics it's a straight track but there are hurdles and like the 11 plus or sats might be the first hurdle and then gcse's are the next hurdle and then a levels are the next hurdle and then the degree is the next hurdle and it's like they've got to jump over all these hurdles to successfully land in adult life and you might jump over all those hurdles. And, you know, I, I'm one of the people who did jump all over those hurdles pretty successfully. But then I landed in adult life and I 
didn't really know what to do with myself. <laughs> and, you know, I landed in a job kind of by accident. I was very lucky to end up there. Um, but it wasn't for me. And that was really difficult. It was like, well, what do I do if I'm not going to do this? And, you know, I ended up in education and, you know, now I'm doing what I do. But none of it was a straight line. None of after I left university, none of it was a straight line. And I think if we're kind of trying to tell our children that it's a straight line all the way through education so that the rest of our lives are a straight line, that, that it, that's just not the truth, is it? Yeah, I think one of the key ideas, and I was, I was sharing in the book, um, it was around this idea of life being that zigzag. It's not yes. a straight line. And rather than try and sort of hide that, or what tends to happen is we try to sort of play that down and not let our kids know. We try to be the perfect people who everything, you know, you know, I can tell you a story of my life. You know, I can go on some conference and say that it was that perfect state. I went to this school. I went to Cambridge. I went from there to Oxford and INSEAD. And these were all my, you know, from, and it's nonsense, right? That narrative is a very airbrushed, yeah. along the way there were so many failures setbacks um challenges bounce backs um, reinventions along the way and that's what makes life motivating right that we it, life in as i took on the book is wicked in the sense that there's no one straight line answer to how we how we need to, to live and how we need to live a fulfilling life we've got to find the discover that ourselves um and that's something to be embraced so the more we can let kids explore with these things feel comfortable feeling having doubts anxieties that's all part of life. Um, we, we need to give them that experience early on when they've got that, you know, our, our, our companionship as parents, our, um, our role modeling and our support as well. So yeah, I couldn't agree with you more about that idea of that straight line piece that at some point that will break. And the worry is that it's, it's actually many kids, and I think I probably caught myself in that as well, Lucy, that you can go quite far you know, jumping over those hurdles, but you really end up in a place that... Um, and I think many of my classmates at Cambridge have put that, you know, real, real struggles afterwards of what we're here for. We haven't answered these questions before. And we have, you know, um, early or midlife crises often around this. Yes. Yeah. I, I had about a mid-20s life crisis, basically. <laughs> that, yeah, I took myself off around the world and I can remember being very very miserable and very very low on my own on the other side of the world just before Christmas and you know that was one of the lowest points of my life and it was basically because I didn't know what I wanted to do and you know I knew I had so much to give but I didn't know in what sphere or what arena to give that in and you know hiding these things from our children is hiding them from the realities of life, really, isn't it? And I, I had a, you know, it sounds, you know, first of all, sorry to, sorry to hear this, it sounds really dramatic, but yeah, you know, I, I went into a really uh, fancy corporate consulting job after Cambridge and many great things I learned a lot. I had wonderful people working around me, but I felt a sense of emptiness that I was just making ultimately rich people richer or big, big companies bigger. Didn't really feel a lot of purpose. I couldn't see how what I was doing was really helping and serving others. I took a, a little bit of a detour, went to work for the CEO of a, a, a charity called Action Aid, one of our big charities here in international development, loved the journey, came back, did a bit more corporate work, but eventually, after about 10 years after following the sort of traditional path, they went off and founded two education charities, one in the UK and one overseas, the one I mentioned earlier, Stir. And I think for me, just getting off that path and doing something I love doing, it, it took a lot of courage. I had a very supportive wife, thankfully. Mm -hmm. But it was weird going to party, you know, Cambridge alumni events and, you know, everyone else was a lawyer, you know, Clifford Chance or a partner at Slaughter and May or whatever, you know, whatever Deloitte. Um, so being able to explain that took a while. But 
I learned to realize that actually, to be honest, if I looked at it, I was a lot happier than most of the people in that room. I was a lot more fulfilled. And I, I hopefully I had more impact in the world and more purpose in the world as well. So again, it was so it was very easy to just look at my peers and try to copy them and just say, I want to be a bit more senior or more accomplished. But finding your own path, finding you know, that, that aspect of our talent that is really unique to us and deeply motivates us, that will be the name of the game for success now in the future. We can't just copy others and go down these kind of prescribed hurdles that you talked about. We've got to forge new, new, new industries, new ideas, new innovations, new ways of thinking. Um, this area of motivation is very unexplored. So I'm really a pioneer in it. It's quite scary at times because there's almost no one here. But what is exciting is you feel like you're building new ground, you're learning all the time, and you're helping many, many uh, amazing leaders around the world connect with these ideas and, and be better leaders as a result. Yeah. So really the message, you know, if we were to summarize it for the parents and young people listening is about finding your purpose, like what matters to you and tying your education to that purpose. But it's also this thing about curiosity and having permission to not get everything right, you know, to, you know, learn through failures and mistakes and you know be given second chances and all that kind of thing exactly and i think everything you said you talked about lucy very very powerful summary talks about not putting young people into boxes right we you know there's all this nonsense about intelligence and iq and these standardized tests of sats is a good example and plus whatever you know they, they measure a tiny proportion of what we call intelligence first of all they have their own um biases i know they've, they've tried very hard to make these objective tests i mean it's hard to do anything better, but they, um, they, they favor certain kinds of learning styles, certain ways of engaging. You know, no one can really put a number on who we are. And I think what's really important is let us feel that we are infinite beings, that we have a chance to do many things. So many things I've done, I had no idea I would have done it, you know, 11 for sure. And so allowing ourselves to be those explorers and really be curious, follow the problem, fall in love with the problem. You know, I thinking about what I got into, into education, I, I would never have done this if I knew how difficult this was going to be. But, you know, I was just very moved by, you know, hundreds of millions of kids, um, you know, in a country I was born in, not getting that benefit of a great education. And that inspired me to go and, you know, work with governments. That was painstaking at times, raise lots of money in places like America, which was a whole new experience. None of that had been sort of set. I hadn't trained in any of that and passed an exam because I was motivated by the problem I was solving. And I believed it would have to, you know, really help people. I was willing to do what it took to, to achieve that. And that's what I'm we're... really interested in that because a lot of people have the motivation, like they can see the problem and they want to do something about it, but they don't have the self-belief. So where do you think you got the self-belief from to actually, you know, it sounds like you did some big things <laughs> to make all that happen. Where did, how did you summon that self-belief? I think what happened, I found with highly motivated people is in all walks of life is that they they dissolve into the problem. What happens, I think, is that we have this sense of ego mm -hmm. that um, is always judging us, right? Looking at us, are we good enough? And many of us, you know, all of us have those anxieties, myself very much included. Almost I didn't have an option because there was no one else. If I didn't go to that government minister and talk to him or her, no one else would. If I didn't go and raise that money from this billionaire in America, no one would have done that. You, you just have no, no choice but to do it. And that's a good, you know, metaphor for, for parenting. If we can let our kids throw themselves into things. They, they don't know where they're going to go. Uh, they don't know if it's going to lead from A to B, but they're so excited by that area. They're so curious. They'll do things we, we couldn't even imagine. So that child who doesn't want to leave the Xbox can 
will, will, will create a painting that you had no idea someone at you know 11 or 12 could do it's just that they haven't been sparked to get that motivation yeah. we can't force you can't force intrinsic motivation unfortunately it's not like it created a factory by now but it's uh but you can create the environment where it can spark can't exactly. you and yeah, give them- and it, listening to what you're saying reminds me to a young man I was talking to yesterday evening who is you know very fond of his Xbox but he basically said he took a chance on himself recently and he did the work and he got a really good test result because he did the work and I said to him did it take bravery to take that chance on yourself and do the work and he's like yes it was a brave thing for me to do and I said, but will you keep doing it now that you see, now that you've seen that it works? And he was like, yes, I will. And, you know, you've done it on a massive global scale with all sorts of important people and large sums of money. But for some of these kids, it's just about saying, right, I, I'm going to try something different just by putting the Xbox down and opening the books and see if that works. And that's their first step on this journey of bravery and finding something within themselves to actually get some results for themselves yeah that really resonates with you i think the the, the barrier to bravery that is that you know very moving example you shared was is that the worry about judgment and if i put all my effort in a lot of kids i think are scared to throw themselves into something i love the idea of throwing them you know but the way that they might do that and nothing might come out and it's not it's what it's saying is almost don't don't worry about the outcome just focus on the engagement, the process, and trust the process. And you know, if you don't, uh, something doesn't uh, come the first time. We don't get the good grade the first time. That's okay. The next time it will come, but just trust it. The main thing is um, engage because engaging is much better than, than disengaging. It's a much more fun way of being, much more interesting way of learning, and you'll enjoy it so much more. And the results will come. I guarantee that over time. It may not happen immediately. But what we know is that if you get better, even that small difference, even if there was a, a one mark better or there was a concept that this time you understood because you engage or able to apply it, you'll be motivated to, to develop further mastery. And you go on this beautiful virtuous cycle where you're getting better at something that motivates you to put more effort in. You get better and again, and you go on this wonderful mastery motivation cycle. Yeah. The chat when you would disengage and we say, look, we're, we're scared or we're worried or worried about being judged often by the grades of the school system we go into a negative a death spiral we say well i'm not going to put less effort in i'll just do the minimum you get a we get a, a not very good grade or mark that engages to say okay i'm not good at the subject let me put less effort and you go down the other way mm. we've got to get back on that positive spiral and i, I think parents have got a, a key role to help kids do that yeah, definitely. Well, it's been an absolute joy talking to you today and sharing this insight about motivation with the listeners and the viewers. If people want to learn more, where can they find your book? What's it called? And where can they find out more about you? Yeah, thanks, Lucy. I'd love to engage. I'm very passionate about this area as a parent myself, as you can probably see. Yes. Uh, the book is called Intrinsic, um, I-N-T-R-I-N-S-I-C. Um, it's on Amazon um, and other good uh, bookshops, lots of independent uh, book sites as well. Um, in terms of broadly, I'm, I'm on Twitter under Sharath Jeevan underscore. Uh, please follow me there or on LinkedIn very actively as well. If you just search my name on LinkedIn, my, my work is all at intrinsic-labs.com, intrinsic-labs.com. But really trying to build a, a whole community of learning around this topic of motivation. Would love to have lots of people to learn with me. 
Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being on the School Success Formula today. And thank you, listeners and viewers, for tuning in. Have a wonderful day and goodbye.